It is go time, folks. Welcome to the Doc Bryant Show. I am your host, Doc Bryant. Why, Doc? Because I was a Navy and Marine Corps combat corpsman for six years. Doc is what they call us, and Doc is the name that is tattooed on my soul. Boy, we got a lot to get into today, so I'm going to start right off. I ran into a tweet the other day that set my alarm bells off. You see, we have obviously been under massive spiritual attack. We in the West, we in the United States, we Christians have been under massive, massive spiritual attack, especially the last two years, but certainly for the last seven years. And that attack is coming from uh from the pride community the the weapon of choice that is being used against us is the pride community it is the weapon that has been effectively used against christians in europe and in canada it is the weapon that if you speak against this group of people, this specially protected group of people, you can actually get thrown into jail in Europe and Canada. And that concept is coming here to the United States. Now, the, the pride community is directly opposed to Christianity. It is the antithesis of Christianity. It is the central point of wokeness, and wokeness is this world system, what Ephesians refers to as this present darkness, what Revelation refers to as Babylon, and, and the, this, the hub of wokeness is the pride movement. There's a reason that they keep adding letters to their ever-growing description. It's because they keep on adding small groups that are opposed to Christianity to that long list. I refuse to refer to them as the alphabet people, as a lot of people do, uh, because of all the letters and numbers and all this kind of garbage that they have added onto the list, because alphabet is the exclusive purview of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and they're trying to take that over by making themselves gods, but I digress. There was an exceptionally written tweet, very, very well written, uh, Satan couldn't have written it better himself, uh, or Satan did write it himself, but it was exceptionally well written. The words were precisely chosen. They were precisely placed. This was very well thought out, and it was a very well thought out attack directly against not only Christianity, but against Christ himself. The individual who posted this goes by the handle, the Twitter handle, Pride Token. And that's at Pride underscore Token if you want to take a look at it. And he is got, or she, I don't know, has all the requisite uh, uh, rainbow flags and so on and so forth uh, all over his or her uh, Twitter account. Uh, the stolen rainbow, I might add. Anyway, he starts out with, What would Jesus do? A reflection on LGBTQ rights and homophobia. All right, immediately what you will notice is the standard tactic of the Marxist left. And, and Marxism also, that's nothing more than a euphemism for wokeness or socialism, or communism, or progressivism, or whatever ism you want to call it, it's all the same thing. They have to, in order to demand special rights that are not afforded other people, they must 
depict themselves as victims. So they are constantly, constantly claiming aggrieved status. So uh, the statement right here indicates that somehow the members of the Pride community are being denied some kind of rights and they are victims of some kind of organized hate. None of these things are actually happening. None of them. And I've proven this on multiple previous broadcasts. Okay, I continue. Many claim to follow Jesus, the embodiment of love, compassion, and acceptance. But when it comes to LGBTQ rights, some Christians have chosen a path of hate and persecution. Today, let's reflect on what Jesus would do in the face of homophobia. Hashtag Pride Month. Okay, we're going to break this down. Many claim to follow Jesus. Let's go all the way back to the garden, folks. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What was the very first thing that Satan said when he was trying to convince Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the garden? The very first thing he said is, did God really say to put doubt into their minds about what God actually says. And here, this individual is putting, trying to put doubt using the exact same tactic as Satan did. And Satan continues to use the same tactics over and over again because they work. But this is the exact same tactic. Uh, did Jesus really say these things? Did Jesus really do these things? And then, of course, he, he goes on to flatter uh, Jesus, the embodiment of love and compassion. Well, yes, we would absolutely agree with that. As a matter of fact, compassion is one of the things that Christ is best known for. Uh, it, it, his compassion is remarked upon multiple times in the Gospels. And then he throws in a word that does not belong, but sounds really good. Acceptance acceptance. Let me explain something to you here, folks. And I have heard this multiple times as well, uh, even before this massive assault from the pride movement. Uh, people saying that Christianity is a religion of tolerance. It, it, I find it just fascinating how people who are not Christians how people who do not read the Bible, who have never read the Bible, who do not study the Bible, more to the point, love to tell those of us who do what Christianity is really about. And here, the word acceptance indicates that Jesus, being so compassionate, being so loving, would have embraced the pride movement. Nothing, and I repeat, nothing, is further from the truth. Now, specifically speaking, and I'm going to knock this right out of the park right now. I'm going to end this right now so that I can get on to what I really need to do. Jesus was and is God. He is a part of the triune God. Three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God. There is no difference between him and God. And a lot of people say, oh, Jesus never really claimed to be God. Yes, he did. Multiple times in the Gospels, it's right there. And one of the things he said is, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And he also referred to himself as I am. And you can't get much more God than that. When he said, before Abraham 
was, I am. So yes, Jesus did claim to be God, and let me explain something about God right now. You can go from the very beginning of the Bible to the very, very end of the Bible, and nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does God accept sin. Nowhere. It doesn't exist. You're not going to find it. The, the, the fallacy that there's a difference between the Old Testament God, who's a mean, vengeful, vengeful God, and the New Testament God, who's a sweet, kinder, gentler God, that too doesn't exist. It is a fallacy. It's not true. There is nothing about that that is true. However, and here is the danger, and this is what I am going to start talking about today. And it's going to, I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's going to take how long it's going to take. Because ladies and gentlemen, if I am one thing, I am a preacher. I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a direct assault on the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a false teaching right here. What they are trying to do is they are trying to create a counterfeit Jesus. They are trying to create a counterfeit Jesus in their own image, and they are trying to sell that counterfeit Jesus to us. And ladies and gentlemen, in some places, it is working this kind of gospel is finding its way into, it's worming its way into, it's infecting its way into regular mainstream churches. This concept of tolerance, this concept of, of diversity and equity, none of those words will you find in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the word one time somebody told me, oh, Christianity is a religion of tolerance. I actually looked up the word tolerance in the Bible to see how many times it appeared. And it appeared, depending on the translation, around nine times in the Bible. And the vast majority of those times, with one exception, as I recall, the statements were, you will not tolerate, or I do not tolerate. Tolerance is not something that is in the Bible. Certainly not tolerance of sin. Certainly, certainly not God tolerating sin. And Jesus is God. There's no difference between the two of them. Jesus is not a created being, as some people would have you think. Oh, Jesus is just a new prophet, and he brought a new, uh, a new message to God. No. No, no, no. And we're going to get into this. I'm actually going to get into all of this. So I am going to straighten all of this out. Now, to a lot of people's credit, to a lot of Christians' credits out there, they study their Bible, they read their Bible, and they know that this is garbage and this is baloney, because that's what we are called to do, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible actually tells us that when somebody comes along with a particular teaching, especially if it was regarding Jesus, if it's regarding the gospel, somebody comes along talking about the how Jesus is and what he is like and so forth, that we are supposed to be like the Bereans that Paul encountered. The Bereans looked up and researched every single thing that Paul told them and verified it against the law. They verified it against the scriptures, and they found that what Paul was telling them was correct based on what the scriptures said. That is what we are supposed to do as Christians. We're not just supposed to go into church and blindly listen to our preachers and pastors and turn on Christian radio and blindly listen to the pe preachers and pastors there. We're supposed to do our own research. We're supposed to look this up because I have said this multiple times. Christianity is not a, uh, there's no such thing as communal salvation. Okay? Christianity is an individual relationship with God, with Christ. 
an individual relationship with Christ. You cannot have an individual relationship with Christ, or at least not a good one, if you don't spend time with him. Spend time with him in prayer and spend time with him by reading his book, by studying his word. The closer you get to him, the better off your life is going to be. Regardless of how difficult your circumstances happen to be, that's the way a Christian life is supposed to work in a nutshell. And if you do that, you are not going to be fooled when somebody comes along with a counterfeit Christ. Satan is a counterfeiter. That's what he does. He creates things that are pretty and shiny and that tell you what you want to hear, but that are just enough like God and just enough like God's message that you will be pulled away from it. That's why there are so many counterfeit Christian religions. Okay? That's That's why he does that, because there are some people who've grown up in a Christian church. They might not even be Christians, but they've grown up in a Christian church, and they kind of know some of the stories of the Bible. And so he comes along and he presents something that sounds a lot like those stories in the Bible, but says, hey, but there's a new teaching. And there's this guy just had somebody give him a bunch of golden plates, and he read these stories on a golden plate, or he was in a cave and an angel appeared to him and told him uh, the new gospel. And you know, or or some other thing. Another angel appeared to him in the middle of the wilderness and talked to him about this, that, or the other thing and, and, and gave him a new teaching. And that's why Satan is a, a counterfeiter, because he can use these counterfeit teachings to pull Christians away from Christianity, Christians who don't know their Bible. Well, folks, I am going to help fix that right frickin' now, because I'm not going to stand for this garbage I'm not going to put up with it. So I am going to give you the lowdown on exactly what the Bible says and exactly who Christ is so that you will be able to go, "Eh, you know what? I don't think that acceptance business really works. Uh, You know, I don't think Jesus said that. I don't think Jesus would actually buy into the pride movement. And, and, And understand this, ladies and gentlemen, understand this really well. God loves everybody. Everybody is a creation of his, and it breaks his heart when people decide to turn away from him and go their own way. And this goes all the way back to Genesis. All the way back to Genesis, and that's where we're going to go right now, because in order for you to understand who Christ is and what his teachings are, and more importantly, what the future lies, or what lies in the future, you have to understand what lies in the past. You have to understand what the Bible is. So that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to tell you what the Bible is. The Bible is 66 different books. It is a collection of 66 different books written by over 40 different people over a period of about 1,500 years, and it all tells one contiguous story. That is very important for you to understand, and I'm going to show you that through these next broadcasts. But first, I'm going to give you an overview of the Old Testament. Because everything that happens in the New Testament, this is so that you understand that there's no difference between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. There's no difference in attitude either. This is extraordinarily important for you to understand. There's no difference in attitude. Just like there is righteous judgment in the Old Testament multiple times, in the New Testament there is righteous judgment in the end. That's what the entire book of Revelation is about. And we're going to get there eventually, too, because I'm planning on spending a good amount of time after I cover the Old Testament here. I'm going to do an overview of the Old Testament in one episode, and then I'm going to get into the Gospels, which tells the story of Jesus. 
and then I'm going to get into Revelation. I've actually been asked multiple times by former parishioners of mine to record my series on Revelation, which I actually ran through twice during my 15, 17-year career as a preacher, and so I might as well do it now because this, this false doctrine is going to lead people astray. So, the Old Testament starts in Genesis, the very beginning. In the beginning, God. Note, it was in the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, you. Not in the beginning, me. Not in the beginning, Adam and Eve. In the beginning, God. Okay? And one thing that you must note is God is the central focus of the entire Bible from beginning to end, be it God the Father or be it Christ. And Christ is actually the central character of, of God. Christ is the central character. In the beginning, God created a perfect setup, and he created man in his own image. He created the animals, he created the plants, he created the ocean, he created the land, he created the light, he created all that stuff. And then he, he created man in his own image. Man is the only thing that was created in God's image. Man is special. Man is different. Man is different from the angels in that respect as well. And this is arguably one of the things that caused Satan to rebel against God. Because in the Bible it actually talks about, do you not know, speaking to humans, do you not know that you will judge the angels? So God created a, a, a physical being in his own image. And this physical being was physically and certainly intellectually inferior to the angels. And this is one of the things that may have upset Satan. Satan himself wants to be worshipped, and he believes he should be worshipped. He believes he is equal to or even better than God who created him. That's another thing we need to point out real quick, too. Satan is not the opposite of God. Okay? It's, it's not like a yin and a yang kind of situation where you have an ultimate evil and an ultimate good and they are constantly warring and they're at balance and all of this kind of garbage. That, that belief system is called dualism and it is not relevant. It's not real. God was in the beginning. Not God and Satan, just God. And God created all of these things and he created Satan. You cannot create anything greater than yourself. And so even though Satan believes himself to be as great as God and worthy of worship and so forth, he is not. He is weaker than God. He is limited. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. He knows everything. And Satan is none of these things. And God is omnipresent. God is everywhere at once. Satan is not any of those things. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. He is limited by space and time. And he is not omniscient. omniscient. He cannot read minds. He does not know everything. Now, he is extremely smart. He is brilliant. He is extremely clever. He's smarter than us. But he is not omniscient. They are not equals. There is no dualism in this situation. Anyway, he created, God created, this perfect setup for man. And he wanted to have a loving relationship, individual loving relationship, with his humans. Not as pets, but as a father to his children. That's what he wanted. Father to his children. But in order for that kind of 
relationship to exist, in order for love to exist, free will must also exist. If he had wanted robots to worship him day and night, he could have created that. But he did not want that. He wanted someone who would love him and worship him as children do to a father because they wanted to. A gift demanded is no gift at all, so he had to create a situation such that they actually had a choice. And so he did. He created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he told them of all of the trees in this garden you can eat, but not that particular tree. Then we all know what happened after that. Satan came in and he used his wiles, and he deceived Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve obeyed him. Now, understand that up to that point, dominion over the earth was given to the humans. Adam and Eve had dominion over the earth. It was delegated to them by God. Had they continued to obey God, that situation would have continued, but they didn't. They obeyed Satan. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, they just went their own way and they obeyed themselves. Yes, it's the same thing. You're either obeying God or you're obeying Satan. And in this case, they obeyed Satan. And in obeying Satan, they handed over the dominion of themselves to Satan. And Everything that they had dominion over fell to Satan. You will recall when Satan tempted Christ in the wilderness, one of the things he said is, if you fall down and worship me, I will give you dominion over all of these kingdoms. Now, if he had not been able to do that, Christ would have called him on it and said, you don't have the authority to do that. But Christ didn't say that. You know why? Because Christ knew that Satan had that kind of dominion. That was the law. That's the way it works. And one of the things about God is he is reality. He is the law. It is impossible for him to act outside of the law. So he couldn't have just said, you know what, we're not doing it this way. I'm just going to take things over and, and, and no, he can't do that. He has to play by the rules. And so Satan took over dominion of the earth and sin reigned over the earth. And because sin had entered the world, and sin had entered our hearts as humans, we had to be permanently separated from God. People ask, why? Why do we have to be permanently separated from God? That's not fair. You know, shouldn't God just, just understand this? Coming from a surgical perspective, if I am putting implants into a patient in surgery and I drop one of them on the floor... Can I then pick it up and put it in the patient? No, because it is no longer sterile. If you are not perfect, then you cannot be with God. No amount of imperfection can exist in a system of perfection. Okay, so we got that. But God had a plan in place because he knew what was going to happen because, again, unlike Satan, he is omniscient. He knew what was going to happen, and he knew how it all was going to work out. And that's where we get to Genesis 3.15, where he said, he, he, he actually uh, prophesied. This was the first prophecy, and it was the first prophecy of Christ where he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. 
He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This is what he was telling Satan. And so in telling Satan this, Satan then becomes aware of the fact that some human at some point in time is going to come along and ruin his deal that he's just set up. Now, he doesn't like that, and he doesn't know how it's going to work out, but he knows it's going to work out, and he knows it's going to come from the humans. So what does he got to do? Well, what he's got to do is he's got to destroy every single human that he can that even shows any interest whatsoever in following God. And as a matter of fact, while we're at it, let's just go ahead and... Because every single human that follows God is not following him. Now, Satan, unlike God, demands worship. And he doesn't care about an individual relationship with anybody. He wants corporate worship. He wants the robots just worshiping him blindly and thoughtlessly. Consider this when you look at the way that the left behaves. No thought whatsoever, no logic whatsoever. They just follow. They just do. They don't think. And they are all part of a group, and anybody who deviates from that group thought is immediately ostracized and shunned until they rejoin the group. That is how Satan works. And so Satan sets out and he starts doing that. You have Cain and Abel as the first experience where Cain does what is right in the eyes of the Lord. I'm sorry, where Abel, <laughs> sorry, where Abel does what is right in the sight of the Lord, and then Cain kills him. Fast forward to the point where you've got a world full of people who are doing their own thing. Violence and sexual immorality are the words of the day. And there is only one person left on the planet who is righteous in the eyes of God who keeps to the law that is written in his heart. And so God says to that guy, I want you to build an ark. I am going to flood the world, and I'm going to start over with you and your family. And so that's what he does. And he starts over, and there's the flood, and he wipes everything out, changes the face of the earth entirely, and then releases Noah after the flood waters come out. He releases Noah from the ark and all of the animals, each of their kind, out into the world. And he tells Noah specifically, I want you to spread out all over the world and conquer the world. That's what I want you to do. But that's not what happens. Fast forward a little more to a guy named Nimrod. No, I'm not kidding. That name is actually in the Bible. Look it up. And the guy named Nimrod, he decides that he is super powerful and he is super awesome and wonderful. This is in Genesis 11, by the way. And he wants to create a monument that is so great and shows his greatness so much that it couldn't be destroyed by a flood. Direct defiance to the God who caused the flood. So he's going to build a tower that is so high that it could not be destroyed by a flood, despite the fact that right after the flood, God put the real rainbow in the sky as a covenant that said he wasn't going to flood the earth, destroy the earth by flood again for the punishment of sin. This is not to say that he's not going to destroy the earth again. He's just not going to do it by flood. That is specifically stated, by the way. You can look it up. Now, 
this guy Nimrod decides he's going to build this great tower. And God said, you know, if I let them continue the way that they're going, they're just going to get as bad as they were before the flood, and I'm going to have to bring about my judgment a little bit earlier than I had wanted to. So, I am going to confuse their speech and scatter them all over the earth. I am going to make them scatter all over the earth because they didn't do it voluntarily. And so that's what he did. And they scattered all over the earth. Now fast forward a little bit. God decides that he is going to create a tactical foothold, I'm sorry, a strategic foothold on the earth. And in order to do that, he is going to create a people unto himself. And so he picks out a fellow by the name of Abram. And he chooses Abram to be the father of this great nation. And he renames Abram Abraham. And Abraham becomes the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph. And all of this time, Satan is trying to confuse and confound and destroy this group of people, this family that God is putting together because he remembers the statement that God made and he knew that the salvation of humans and his own destruction was going to come from the hands of a human. And so when he sees God paying special attention to this particular guy and creating a nation out of this particular guy, he decides, well, I'm going to have to jack that up. And so that's what he sets about to do. And so he tries to starve them out at one point. But God had already set in plan or in motion a plan to fix that. And so because of Joseph, all of Jacob's family moves into Egypt and they do really, really well in Egypt. They do so well in Egypt, in fact, that they don't even think about going back to the land that God had planned for them. They get really, really comfortable. Now, when you get really, really comfortable in your life and you are not moving in the direction that God wants you to move, he makes you uncomfortable. And that's what he did with the Hebrews. He made them uncomfortable in Egypt. But at the same time, he had a way to get them out and start noticing here too, folks, that in these instances, Noah, in the instances of Abraham, in the instance of uh, Joseph, God raises up an individual to save the group that comes into play later. So anyway, Joseph uh, saves his family from the famine, and then Moses saves the Israelites from Egypt. And the Israelites, that, note, note too, and understand too, that there was nothing inherently special about these individuals that God chose. God didn't choose them because they were so wonderful and they were so great and they were so holy. That's not how it works. None of us are holy. None of us are special like that. None of us are so great that God goes, wow, that person's just amazing. No. You know why? Because we're all sinners. And, and regardless of the level of sin that we indulge in, we are still basically sinners. And that is the thing that we need to be saved from, first and foremost. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So anyway, this group of Israelites is now free, and they are wandering around. They get to a certain point, and they're supposed to go 
to where they originally came from, which is the promised land in Canaan. Okay. But they keep grumbling and they keep goofing off and stuff like that. And when God finally does give them his law, while God is giving his law, they decide that they're going to turn back to the worship practices that they followed when they were in Egypt. And, and, and at one point, God says to, to, to Moses, you know what? I'm going to wipe all of them out, and I'm going to start again with just you, just like I did with Moses. And Mo, or just like I did with, uh, with uh, Noah. And Moses says, whoa, uh, Lord, you know, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, and, and he stands in the gap. He stands in the gap. And this, again, was a test. And it was also a type. Each time, somebody, an individual, stands in the gap for the group. So these people get the law. And they get the law, and they almost get to the promised land, but they goof that up too. And so they have to wander around for 40 years until the generation that disbelieved in him had all died off, except for Moses and his trusty general, Joshua. Well, Moses eventually dies within sight of the promised land, but never actually gets to cross into the promised land. That is Joshua's job. And so Joshua does. And Joshua goes in and they conquer the land that was originally meant for them in the first place from the inhabitants of the land that were placed there that follow false gods. And God says you need to clean all these folks out, basically sterilizing the land so that there are no false gods. And then the land will be yours. Well, they kind of do that, but they also kind of don't. And a precedent had been established a ways back um, where... <clears throat> Satan, through other people, had devised a brilliant plan that the best way to destroy God's people was to introduce pagan practices into their belief system through intermarriage with other groups of people who had false gods. And this becomes kind of a thing. It becomes a theme. And it happens over and over and over again throughout the history of Israel, to the point where Israel gets broken up. A national divorce occurs, where you have Israel in the north, and you have Judah in the south. Now, you go through the books of Kings and Chronicles, and you will hear the stories of uh, the different kings and the history of those kings in these different nations. And the kings sometimes are good kings in Judah, they're sometimes good kings and sometimes bad kings. In Israel, they're always bad kings, always bad kings, until the point where uh, Israel is taken over by the Assyrians, and then all of the people in Israel are scattered all over the world, and, and they're gone. And then you have Judah, who sticks around for another couple hundred years or so, with good kings and bad kings, and good kings and bad kings, and bad kings and good kings, and good kings, and bad kings and bad kings and bad kings until they get taken over by Babylon and they get taken captive into Babylon. And they are held captive in Babylon for 70 years. And all this time, there are a bunch of prophets who keep reiterating the fact that there is going to be a savior that is going to come and is going to help them and is going to free Israel from bondage. And Israel eventually gets released 
Because after Babylon, you had the Medes. And after the Medes, you had the Persians. And eventually, Israel is allowed to go back to the Promised Land to rebuild Jerusalem and create some kind of national identity. And at the same time, they've still got these prophets telling them, you've got to stick to the law. You've got to stick to what God told you. There is going to be a Messiah. There is going to be somebody coming who is going to free you from oppression. Now, the Jews misunderstood the Hebrew. At this point, they're called Jews now. After they came back from Babylonian captivity, they're referred to as Jews because they came from Judah. Okay, that's where the term comes from. So they went from Israelites to Jews because of that. Now, they get tired of listening to all this God talk, and again, they get pulled away to believing in other gods and following other practices, a lot of which included sexual immorality, by the way, the worship of these false gods. I'm talking to you, Baal. I'm talking to you, Ishtar. And I'm talking to you, Moloch. The worship of these false gods involved that and mass murder, by the way. That was a big one, too. Sacrificing your children. There's nothing new under the sun, to quote Ecclesiastes. So, they get tired of listening to these prophets. And so they just, they, you know, they you pretty much just kill them off as they come along. And God gives them one last prophet who they kill off. And then God remains silent. He doesn't talk to them anymore. And the Hebrews, the Jews, I'm sorry, begin to get the idea that God has turned their back on him, but that's not what happened. They turned their backs on God. And he said, enough. I'm not going to talk to you until it's time for the Messiah again. Now, one of the prophets that had been used by God during the captivity in Babylon was Daniel. And Daniel's prophecies were so amazingly accurate that they could be pinpointed to the day. And so those Jews that were still followers of God looked to these prophecies to pinpoint the time period at which the Messiah should come. And so they had a really good idea as far as how many years it would take. And this is where, if we got into the book of Daniel, we could talk about Daniel's weeks. And the, 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 the weeks of 70s and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, but I'm not going to get into that here, get into that later, but I'm not going to get into it here. At any rate, like I was saying, Daniel's prophecies were extraordinarily accurate. And so they were looking forward to a particular time when this Messiah would show up and deliver them. And God was silent. No prophets, no nothing. For over four hundred years. And during those 400 years, the Jews decided that they were going to make improvements to God's law. Instead of just following God's law, which was pretty much very clear-cut, and and don't misunderstand, God's law wasn't just the Ten Commandments, okay? The Ten Commandments were the outline They were the framework for the law. If you want to get into the law, the actual law that God put forward, you have to get into Exodus and Leviticus, especially Leviticus. Holy cow, Leviticus. People ask me what my favorite book of the Bible is, and I tell them it is the book that I happen to be reading right now, whatever book I happen to be reading right now, except Leviticus and Numbers. Not a big fan of Numbers either. 
I know there's a bunch of good stuff in there. There's and and the basis of a, of everything is in there. As far as the law is concerned, that is the law. But oh my gosh, what a slog! So I digress. Here we have these Jews, and they decide that over this 400 or so years, 400, 460 years, they are going to improve upon the law. And so you have the law that says you're not supposed to do this. Well, what we're going to do is we are going to create rules on top of that so that you don't violate that. So in order that you don't violate the law, we're going to create a rule or a tradition to prevent you from doing that. And in order to prevent you from violating this rule or tradition, we're going to create another rule or tradition on top of that to prevent you from doing that that will prevent you from violating the law. And then we're going to create a rule to prevent you from uh, violating that rule, to prevent you from violating that rule, to prevent you from violating the law. And pretty soon, they had set up this massive system, a huge top-down system of rules that had, interestingly enough, been twisted such that they benefited the people who were making the rules, all the time doing it in the name of protecting the law. So they created a system that became 180 degrees out of phase of what the law was really about. And instead of the priests being in charge of worshiping God and telling the people how to worship God and reading the law to the people, the pure law to the people. You now had a system of, of scribes, the people who were supposed to write down the law and so forth, and well, who did write down the law and so forth, but they were the ones who, they became basically lawyers and if people had any questions about what was in the law, instead of going to the priests, they asked these scribes. And these scribes were the ones who started making up these extra rules. And rules upon rules. And then the scribes were the ones that became in charge. And they were the ones that became the Pharisees. And then you had a group of them that became more secularized and all of this stuff about God. Because after 400 years of not hearing from God, maybe he doesn't exist really. And maybe all of this was just a, a cultural construct around which we were supposed to create our society. Good teachings. Not necessarily from a God per se, but God being kind of a, a concept of, of what, what we should do and what we should be like that helps us to live our lives in a, a, a good and appropriate way. And these grew, this group became the Sadducees. And they had a, a, a governing body over all Jews called the Sanhedrin. And this group ruled over them. Even when the Romans came to take over. And the Romans took over with very little problem whatsoever. And the Romans instituted taxes. And the Jews viewed the Romans as their oppressors. Wait a minute. Oppressors. Isn't this about the time that we're supposed to have a Messiah come by? Let me check my watch, my Daniel watch. Why, yes, we're supposed to have a Messiah. And the Messiah, according to the prophecies, is supposed to come and deliver us from oppression. And the current oppression that we're facing are the Romans. So, obviously, this Messiah that is coming is going to save us from the oppression of the Romans. 
And it also says there were other prophets that say that the Messiah will reign forever on the throne of David. And he'll reign over the whole world. And it also says that he'll have to suffer and he'll be rejected and all that stuff. But but we don't know what that really means. That could be just, you know, that could be just uh, uh, some kind of metaphor that we just don't understand. But But obviously, he's going to come. He's going to be a great learned man. He is going to be a great warrior. And he is going to lead us in rebellion against the Romans, and then he is going to take his throne. And he is going to rule over the entire world, and we Jews, the chosen people of God, will rule with him over the world, and everybody will have to do what we say. And all of this was what was in the minds of the people at around the time, 400, 460 some odd years after the death of the last prophet, this was what was in their minds when the actual last Old Testament prophet appeared on the scene. He appeared in the desert wearing the same type of clothing that the prophets of 400 years ago were wearing. He lived out in the desert and ate bugs and honey. And he preached to the people and he said to them, Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that, folks, is where we start the story of where Jesus came from, why he came, and who he is. So that is the Old Testament in a nutshell and the beginning of our story about who Christ is. If you liked what you heard, please share this podcast out there to your friends and family, folks that you think need to hear this and folks that you think might be annoyed by it. You can catch my videos on bitshoot.com, odyssey.com, O-D-Y-S-E-E.com, and, of course, my podcast is available, oh, and rumble.com, don't forget rumble.com, and my podcast is available anywhere you can get podcasts except for Apple, because I will not fill out their paperwork. I want to thank all of you for listening, and we're going to get into the Gospels starting, well, the next episode. And I will talk to you all later.